0: Hello, it's uh, so good uh, to be with you today and for you to join us. Uh, if you're joining online, I want to particularly welcome you. Um, I don't know what time of day it is uh, for you, but uh, maybe you're joining with us this morning at the Shoreham site. Hello, Shoreham. Um, or you might be at the Oasis site uh, this morning. Um, or some of my friends may be at Hoves. Just want to say hello to everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Malcolm. My wife Megs and I have uh, planted a church in Bath. We originally grew up in this, well, I grew up in this church. We got married here um, and we spent 12 years in South Africa um, and recently returned and have planted a church there in Bath. with an amazing group of people. Uh, We named ourselves Cornerstone in March this year and uh, uh, we spent this year kind of launching websites and all that sort of stuff. In fact, in the last month or two at church at Cornerstone, we've been uh, in a in a series that we've called Faithful God, a, a kind of testimony series where people have been sharing their stories of how God has, has been faithful and um, one of the stories, in fact a couple of the stories um, had uh, in, their, in their story the, the tragedy of, of the loss of a father. Two women told how in their childhood they, they lost their dad and, and actually One of those ladies, Jackie, uh, her and her husband, Jackie and John and Zaki Zwaneo. Some of you may know the name because they were here for a number of years. Uh, They're Rwandan. And tragically, in uh, 1994, uh, Jackie, who was a, uh, now I've got to get this right. She was a Tutsi and the Hutus um, uh, kind of declared genocide uh, or um, declared war, if you like, on the Tutsis. And so tragically, as a six year old, um, she lost her entire family. Now, her story goes that she was at her grandma's house. She'd just gone to visit her grandma that day. And um, that was the day where neighbors and friends turned on each other and began to massacre one another. And uh, she lost everyone. She lost her whole family. Um, she. She, she managed to escape from her grandma's house and uh, spent the next weeks and, and kind of months almost uh, hiding in bins and uh, hiding under the ground, just trying to avoid uh, that genocide. And, and her life was in complete turmoil. And she told, she told of her pain of losing her dad, her hero. And uh, it wasn't until later in her teen years, uh, having grown up with a real sense of trauma, as you would expect, and a real kind of you know dysfunctional reality for her it was only in her late teens um, and she says when she realized that God loved her as a father and that she was a daughter of him that her life turned around that was the, that was the moment where she went from being broken to beginning to mend the brokenness that that we experience from the loss of a father we know this throughout society we the statistics are striking uh, i was reading again some of them i read an article uh, last week from a few years ago just talking about knife crime and uh, and the, the person that wrote that article i think in the times um, was arguing uh, that it was connected to a fatherlessness one of the stats i read is that uh, a child is 33 times more likely to be a victim of abuse if they grow up without a father at home. I don't know the details of that stat or where it's come from, but it I mean, it's frightening reality. But the thing that came through from Jackie's story, uh, even louder than the brokenness and the trauma of losing her dad was just the life-changing power of hearing God's voice declare his love to her as her father. That redemptive power, it turned her life around and she encountered God and related to him as his daughter and her life was forever changed. So what is the one thing that I would love us to look at today? The one thing that I would say is, is I want us to look at this invitation from God to know him as father. For some, this might be the first time you've, uh, you've maybe this, this is an introduction to this truth for you. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new uh, to Christianity, I hope that today whilst we haven 't got time to kind of fully unpack this reality, I hope that we'll cover enough that it might attract you or intrigue you or entice you to discover more about uh, about this relationship with God and for some of us this will be an opportunity to revisit this truth uh, we will have marinate to marinate in it if you like to to revisit this wonderful reality and that I hope that God will captivate and win our hearts again. So many of us, uh, so many of us relate to God through through different filters. Perceiving God uh, from different perspectives, I suppose, or different grids, if you like. Many of us struggle, even those of us that have walked with God for many years, struggle to experience the life-giving, all-satisfying relationship. That brings kind of security and contentment and, and peace. That an understanding of that true love that, that results in us feeling wanted, feeling accepted, feeling strong, encouraged. It's my experience that many of us strive, almost trying to impress God as some kind of rule keeper or health and safety manager with a, you know, like some kind of cosmic clipboard. Always trying to impress him or or keep him happy, and feeling rubbish and feeling down when we fall short, and fall short even of our own standards, let alone our perceived or our perception of his standards. And uh, even in those moments where we do feel like we've done well, and we get that kind of sense of pride, that is also pretty ugly. In turn, many of us treat him transactionally. In, in, you know, in that sense of, uh, I don't know if you've ever found it, if you find it easier to, to love God when life is going well. I, don't know, I, I, I find myself falling into that trap. You know, we quick to feel let down or grumpy or even angry with God when, when things aren't going to plan or when he doesn't seem to be sorting things out according to our agenda. Sort of interaction with God is confusing it's tiring, like it's weird. it gets you down, and 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 quite honestly, it, it's my experience as a pastor of ten or so years. It's amazingly common. So we're going to start by considering a a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, as recorded in the Gospels. It's a moment where. Jesus was praying and his disciples were around him and one of the disciples say to him lord like teach us how to pray they, they sort of come to him and they say we want to know how do we approach god like how do we come to him how do we talk to him what do we say like how does he want us to interact with him like what is the what's the ground rules of how we interact with with god and Jesus says to them when you pray say father call him Father. It's the invitation from Jesus to know God as Father. And this would have been, I mean, this would have been striking, radical. Like Culturally, it would have been incredibly radical. It may even have been offensive. You see, God's people at that time, uh, they weren't used to this. They weren't, it wasn't a common practice to relate to God in this way. So in many ways, it was in direct contrast or opposition even to, to, to what many would have taught about how people should relate to God. To many, God was primarily kind of this almighty, all-powerful, holy thing, and, and God is that. He is almighty, he is powerful, he's holy. But the sort of negative side, or at its worst, you know, God became unapproachable and, and demanding and concerned mainly with people's behaviour or their morality, and, and, and that was kind of upheld by some of the teaching at the time. So to call God Father, to relate to him, this level of intimacy that, that Jesus was encouraging and inviting us into would have been problematic. I wonder if for some of us it would be problematic. Maybe it's problematic for you too. Oh, many people don't have, a, don't have the best relationship with their dad, their earthly dad, and so you might not even know your dad or you might have a, a really kind of difficult relationship or even a, an abusive experience of a father. But it's important in this moment to realise that that Jesus' invitation is not, to, he's not saying you should relate to God in the way that you relate to your earthly father. He's not saying, let me reduce God down to your experience of father. He's not saying that. Instead, he's, he's encouraging us to relate to God in the way that he relates to him as son. The wonderful invitation is an invitation to be loved by God in the way that he loves his one and only son. Jesus called God Abba. The Bible says, by the Spirit, we're invited to call him Abba, to Abba Father. Simon Ponsonby puts it this way, he says, we are confronted here with something new and outstanding. Herein lies the great novelty of the gospel. It's, it has no parallel in the Old Testament nor in the Judaism of Christ's time. We mustn't soften the scandal of intimacy This was the affectionate, intimate word a child uses of their dad at home. Dear Papa or Darling Dad. Jesus called God Abba and he invites us into the same relationship with God that he had. We are welcomed into the home life of the Trinity. What a phrase. We are welcomed into the home life of the Trinity. See, what Jesus was saying here was more than a name change, more than a a different title uh, to use for God. It was a a declaration about the character and the nature of who God is. And look, just a a quick caveat. I'm no academic. uh, I haven't written any theology books. Uh, I'm much more comfortable kicking a football around a a field than I am uh, writing books. But I would love for us to unpack this a little bit together to consider the significance of this, uh, this element of God's nature. The nature of God being revealed here. Now this stuff can blow your brain a little bit, if I'm honest. Uh, And I'll try and keep it as simple as I can, but without losing just how profound it is. So we're going to zoom out and try and kind of understand some of that that truth, some of that significance. And then after that, I want us to, to zoom back in really and experience this relationship. That's what God desires, is that we would experience that relationship for ourselves. And so I want us to experience this relationship as we encounter it uh, in the Gospels and and, in the way that Jesus demonstrates it. So first thing I just want us to look at as we zoom out is that God is eternally Father. Jesus is eternally Son. When Jesus came to earth, he laid down his majesty and he came amongst us as a a God-man, fully God, fully man. And he did so to reveal to us just who God was, to reveal the love of God to the earth. The Bible teaches that God is and has always been Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They have existed for all of eternity past. They haven't just existed. They've lived in perfect harmony, in perfect love. The father loving the son, the son uh, in turn uh, being the recipient of that love of his father and, and loving him back in return for all eternity. I mean, even just considering eternity past, like as far back, forever, keep going, even that can mess with your brain. As father, as eternal father, God has always been father, and more than that he has first been father he's eternally been the life-giving father he's eternally been the love-giving father this is almost what is first <laughs> before anything else we talked earlier didn't we about you know some people that consider him as the almighty if you if you primarily as the first kind of understanding or the first kind of filter that you perceive uh, god through is is one of the Almighty, then you primarily relate to to God as the one who's in charge, as the rule keeper. What if uh, you primarily relate to God as the creator? If you see him first or primarily as the creator of all things, which he is, he is almighty and he is the creator. But if, if that's your first kind of instinct, if you fundamentally relate to him in that way, then you relate to him by what he does, by the fact that he creates by his function as creator. And Michael Reeves in his book, The Good God, he writes the most foundational thing in God. It's not some abstract quality, but it's the fact that he is father. We can't delight in a a God as, as a ruler. We can't delight in a God even as almighty. We can't fall in love with a distant judge. We can fall in love with a loving father. The reformer, Martin Luther. Uh, You you may well have heard of that character from history. Uh, He was a a monk for many years, and and towards the kind of later years of his life, he writes reflecting back on those days. Uh, He he writes about how he he knew God as as righteous and and, and as a being who hated sin, and, and he saw little beyond that struggle to relate to God. And and he would say that he and his monk friends, they would, it's why they were kind of inclined towards kind of praying to Mary and to the saints and to other people, because in many ways it was easier to relate to them, easier to kind of be affectionate towards those characters. This changed for Martin Luther when he saw God as Father. And he writes, it's not enough to know God as creator and judge. Only when God is known as a loving Father is he known aright. For although the whole world has most carefully sought to know the nature, mind, and activity of God, it's had no success in this whatsoever. But God Himself has revealed and and disclosed the deepest profundity of His fatherly heart, His sheer inexpressible love. God is Father, it's who He is. And as He creates, He creates Father. In fact, Let's just take a moment to just consider creation. Creation is actually an overflow of God's fatherness. It's an overflow of, if you like, of the relationship between the Father and the Son. God in eternity wasn't lonely. Uh, uh, He's been loving for all eternity, loving the Son in in the Spirit. Loving each other is at the root of who the Trinity is. And as a father, he's always been life-giving. For eternity, has been fruitful and, and vitalizing as Father. And so, the outgoing, the kind of the giving of love and, and, that, and the giving of life nature of the Father, and, and the perfect love experience that he has with, with the Son, with Jesus, within the Trinity, with the Spirit, as a main motivation for creation. If you like, consider their relationship as a dam, perfect and pure. Creation is like opening the damn wall and allowing that love to kind of pour itself out on others. The Father's overflowing love motivated the extension of that into creation, that you and I, that his creation would also know and experience that perfect, inexpressible love. We see in Hebrews that God appoints the Son as the inheritor of all things. And so it goes... Uh, one step, not only is his relationship with Jesus the kind of motivation, but as the, the Alpha and the Omega, the one that, you know, by him, f- through him, and to him are all things made. Not only was the relationship with the Son and the motivation, it was also the goal of creation. Jesus is the inheritor of all things. And amazingly now, we're called, you and I, Are called sons of God, co heirs with Him. We get to share in that inheritance with the Son. Some of these truths are just amazing. Amazing. God is eternally Father, primarily and first Father. Let's zoom back in together. Let's get into some of these stories. We're invited to know Him as Father, and in in that invitation, I think Jesus came to, to show us the intimacy of the Father and we're invited to know intimacy. So zooming back in here, I remember when my son was born. I have three children, they're 15, 13 and 11 now and uh, they get a bit embarrassed when I tell these sorts of stories. But uh, Charlie was born uh, two and a half, three weeks prematurely, prematurely, so he was tiny and it was a fairly um, traumatic labour, if I'm honest. I suppose most labours are, but... Um, I remember after he was born, the midwife gave him to me, handed him to me, and I held him and he was tiny so he could fit in, in just one, you know, one forearm here. And I remember just bawling my eyes out, just absolutely sobbing, just a part relief uh, that the experience was, had come to an end and everyone was still alive. But, but just that, that sense of love for him. I'd never felt that kind of the weight of, of love in that moment. Just a, a few hours later, the doctor came and uh, the paediatrician came, put Charlie on a, a fe- felt like a fairly cold table and he was uh, just sort of lying there as a tiny little baby on his own. And the doctor, the paediatrician kind of, they come and they check everything. Don't they? They, I didn't know this was going to happen, but they, you know, they kind of pull on their limbs and check that they've, you know, po- poke and prod. And Charlie is, a, like I say, two and a half week old, just scream like that, kind of high-pitched, but because he was a newborn, he didn't have the kind of fullness of his lungs, so it wasn't even that loud, it was just piercing, and he was giving absolutely everything into uh, crying out for help. After the doctor kind of prodded around, Megs and I were there, and a friend of ours had arrived as well, and I just, I was nearest to him, so I just leant out, and I put my hand on his chest, and I just said to him, it's okay, my boy, dad's here. And he, he instantly stopped crying. Like, it was like a switch. He, in that moment, he heard my voice and he knew his dad was next to him. I've got to be honest, it, it blew my mind. Like My friend was there. She, was, she just said, wow. I'd never had that impact on anyone before. I'd never been able to calm someone with my voice just by being there. You know, John, in the Gospel of John, uh, in, in, the, in the first chapter, it describes Jesus as always being, eternally being in the closest embrace of the Father, like in the, in the lap or in the kind of the chest or, you know, of the Father, eternally there, always perfectly in the, the closest embrace of the Father, knowing that intimacy. And in John 17, in, in Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer, Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, to be in that close, intimate embrace. This is why the Father sent Jesus to the earth, to show us that God is love, to show us how to relate to him as our Father. Jesus came that we might be brought back to him, not merely as creatures, but as children, sons and daughters, who enjoy the life-giving, perfect love relationship of the Father. In 1 John John writes, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Again, going back to Jesus' prayer. He says in John 17, Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. The invitation to know him as Father is to know him as intimately as as the Son knows him. The second aspect that I think Jesus wants us to understand and I think is revealed in the Gospels is not only that we are to know him and invited to know him intimately, but to know his affirmation. I want to ask you, what makes you feel like on top of the world? you know that? that sense or that feeling where you just feel confident you can kind of conquer the world. You know that kind of moment, uh, you know, you see it in movies sometimes where the kind of lead character, something happens and, and suddenly he's kind of got a strut in his in his stride and, you know, it he, he just feels on top of the world. What is it that makes you feel like you can do anything? You know, you've got like superpowers, you know, your mojo or whatever, whatever kind of, whatever it is for you. Like I, I said, I play sport uh, it could be a moment. I play golf sometimes and you sometimes see golfers, they kind of hold a long putt or something like that. And suddenly there's momentum and, and confidence and they can't miss. That sense of confidence and that spring in your step. What is it that, that causes that in your life? How do you, you know, is it like as a teacher? Uh, I, I, I'm a teacher and like I know what it's like to just kind of teach an amazing lesson. You come out of there, you think, wow. <laughs> That was proper. And, uh, you, know, or, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you might do a presentation at work or you might land a project or, you know, you might make a sale and you suddenly just feel like, wow, I, like, I can do anything. There's a moment in the Gospels. Uh, we don't hear much of Jesus's childhood in the Gospels. There's a moment when Jesus is baptised and it, and it feels like it's almost the most important or significant moment uh, to date in his, in his life uh, up till this point. And the Bible writes and it says, when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went as he came out of the water. Behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, boomed out from heaven. This is my boy. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. See, God, as, as Jesus' father, he knew that Jesus needed affirming. This is one of the biggest moments of his life so far. And his dad showed up, his father turned up and his words are profound. You can see, you can imagine God, Father in heaven, sitting there and, and beholding what's going on and, and just that love that he has for his father just pouring out and, and just declaring, like screaming out, that's my boy, that's my boy. I love him. I delight in him. I, I, I can't but, but express this and he declares it. It's not often that you hear the voice of God coming from heaven. But in this moment, he couldn't but tell his son how pleased he was with him. Jesus hadn't done anything special yet. God's delight was in him before he did anything impressive. Jesus knew that he was God's son. He knew it. But this was the moment where his dad picked him up in like a, a bear hug and, and squeezed him tight and held him and, and ruffled his hair and, and you know, threw him up in the air, maybe wrestled with him a little bit and, and then pulled him close and whispered in, in his ear, you're amazing, my boy. I love you. Do you know? Do you know that intimacy with God? Do you know what it is to be carried by Him, pulled close? Do you know what it is to to hear His voice, declaring His? Do you know His pleasure? Do you know the pleasure of the Father? We talked earlier about many of us falling into kind of relating to God transactionally or striving and trying without any sense of life or sense of peace or any assurance maybe that's true maybe you don't know God at all maybe that's, uh, that's true for your life you just you have no peace have no calm have no security or sense of you just feel like you keep striving day after day or god wants to invite you to know him as father to affirm you to remind you that you're the object of his of his pleasure you know many years ago i was uh i was at university in sheffield and uh i i i was playing football um i was playing football for the first team you probably don't need to know that i was playing for the first team but i'll drop that in there and uh I remember I, I got, managed to get into the first team in my first year, my freshman year. And, and uh, I, if I'm honest, I was struggling a little bit. I was uh, struggling for form. Uh, I, I think I'd lost a bit of fitness. I put on some weight. And, and I remember just feeling that pressure, you know, playing under pressure. I, I felt like my, my place in the side was coming under question. No one had said anything yet, but relationship with a coach was strained. I just, it just became like I was striving. The thing I loved to do became an effort. And one day I, I was playing and, and I knew my dad was in Manchester visiting my brother. And, uh, and I was, I don't know if we just started the game or if we were just warming up or what, but from the kind of, this, in the distance from the other side of the field, I looked up and I saw my dad walking across the field. It's funny, I didn't get emotional about it at all at the time. It's funny how I tell you, having children just changes your perception and and the kind of the emotion that you express in these moments. But I remember seeing him. My dad had come to watch me. My dad was there. And nothing had changed. But somehow everything had changed. I played like I was on cloud nine. I played with a freedom that I hadn't known. And after the game, we won the game and and I played well. And the coach came up as I was walking back across the field with my dad and my brother. And and, uh, the coach came across. And like I say, it was a bit of a strange relationship. So I didn't know what he was going to say. And he just came over and he said to my dad, he introduced himself and then he said, please, can you guys be here every week? He's never played like that. power of knowing, a loving father, knowing his pleasure. In this moment for Jesus, when he was baptised, it says, the spirit descended on him like a dove. In Romans 8, it says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word cry, that's not a kind of one we cry. That's a we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God, somehow, the Spirit of adoption testifies like a, like a lawyer in a courtroom, argues, advocates, uh, testifies. I bet it says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, crying out, Abba, Father. And if we're children, then we're heirs. If we're heirs of God, then we're fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. As he empowers us and he comes into us, the Spirit of God makes us secure. In our identity, the spirit of adoption releases a cry from within, That sense of, I am a son. I know my father. The cry is involuntary and, and emotional. And again, Simon Ponsonby says, the spirit of sonship crying, Abba, Father, is the heartbeat of a charismatic experience in theology. The spirit shows the true face of God, not as taskmaster, but dear dad. The Spirit in us whispers and witnesses with our spirit that we are God's children, that he is our Abba. I pray today that the Holy Spirit fills you with a sense of knowing God as your Father, knowing that affirmation and intimacy, experiencing it, knowing it like a father who scoops you up, whispers in your ear, As I, uh, as I come to close, I just want to finish by uh, re- retelling the story that Jesus told. I think as Jesus wanted to, to express to us how we are to relate to the Father and how the Father loves us, he tells this story. He says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that's coming to me. Give me my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and squandered his property in reckless living. Just, just to say that the start of this story, like culturally, this is an incredibly offensive thing for the son to do, to, to claim his inter- inheritance early. It would have been a, a huge offence to the family name. It would have been an embarrassment to his dad. Like it would have been shocking. Like it... it It's the ultimate middle finger of a son to his father. Couldn't be more offensive. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need this boy. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let me come and work for you. Let me be a slave, if you like. Let me come and live on the property. Many of us relate to God like that. We, we're in the house. We live as a, as a hired servant, constantly trying to justify our existence, he arose and he came to his father. But as he was still a long way away, the father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran to him. You can you imagine this son and, and, and the kind of horror that he was feeling, the guilt and the shame that he was feeling. And, and he looks up and he sees his dad Hurling towards him, running towards him. The Bible says he embraced him. He wrapped his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son starts to kind of plead with him, dad, "I'm father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm not worthy. Like I'm not here to be your son again. I'm not. I'm not even asking for that. I, I'm not. I don't want to be called your son." And the father, it's like it doesn't. It's like it. He doesn't even register that the son is saying anything. The father it, it almost ignores him. And he says to his servants, "Quick, get the best robe." Get the clothes of a son. Put it on him. Put a, a ring on his hand, a signet ring on his hand. Put, put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. We're going to throw a party. We're going to eat. We're going to celebrate this. This son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And there was a big celebration. The son in the story rejected the father. Been offensive. That's all he's aware of in this minute. Father comes running for him. You know the story I told you at the start of Jackie and her dad. Jackie tells that story and says that her dad's body was found en route between his house and where she'd been staying. See, when the ma- when the killing started, when the massacre began, her father. And I totally get this. All he could think of was, I've got to get to my girl. In that moment of horror, a dad just needs to get to his girl. And tragically, he didn't make it. You know, 2 Samuel says, God schemes, he plots, he devises ways. To bring back those that are in exile, the banished ones, that they won't remain an outcast. This is a story Jesus tells of the Father's love pursuing you as his child, running after you. And as you come with your objections saying, that, that, like, God, I've, I've, uh, like I'm rubbish, I've sinned, I've, I've fallen short, I, I've rejected you. I, I've got all these reasons why I, I don't want to be your son. I just want to kind of, maybe I can just work and... And earn my keeping. Baal says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, eternal relationship with God. The love of the Father in heaven is pursuing you and the Bible says nothing can stop it. No distance, no sin, no darkness, nothing can separate you or stop the pursuit of God's love coming after you. Jesus, as he paid the price, as the triune God paid the price on the cross to enable you and I to live in relationship with the Father as they Of ransom, the Bible says, and Jesus hung on the cross. The Bible says he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, when the triune God, when the Father and Son were scheming to find ways to pull you back into exile. And as the son endured the cross and the Bible says it was the joy set before him, it was you and me, the the idea of winning us into a relationship with the father, it was the joy set before him that enabled him to endure the cross. And the father in that moment kept quiet. He stood and watched. And the son didn't say any more. The Bible says like a, lamb to the slaughter, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he didn't even open his mouth. And he did that so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God, that you and I could know life and life to the full. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to ask for every man and woman listening to this message today. For every man and woman online or at church this morning, I pray, Lord, that your spirit. descend on them like a dove, bear witness, testify, cry out, remind them that they are a son or a daughter of the King. And God, if there are any people today who don't yet know you, who haven't yet accepted the price that you paid on a cross, Lord, I pray you'd reveal yourself to them and that they would respond to your love for them. In Jesus' name, amen.